Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com slash give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. All right, we, <clears throat> we are in this series, The Answer, Jesus is in You, and we're on week three. And if you have your Bibles, pull them out, but if you don't, we have the scriptures there on the, on the screen. It says this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Now you gotta understand, the Pharisees are the religious people. They're the pastors, they got it all together. You know, they've gone to seminary, everything's tight. They're good. The tax collector is the most, uh, the biggest cast out in the Jewish community. The tax collectors were Jews that were working for the Roman Empire to go out and get money and overtax the Jews. So they were hated by Jews. And we see this, the tax collector and the Pharisee. The Pharisee, verse 11, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like the tax collectors. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man who went down to the house was justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, speak to us. Holy Spirit, fall on this place today. Fall in this place. Deliver us, God. Lord, restore relationships. Restore hearts. Restore hope. God, let us see you today in this place, in your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. We're in this series, like I said, the answer, Jesus in you. And and this is really about this. It's an attitude of the heart that cries out to know God. This Jesus in you, what it does is it, 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 it takes you to a place of crying out for God, wanting to know him more. The question we have to ask is what if the answer hasn't been Jesus in you? Now, the reality is this. We all go through ebbs and flows. Jesus doesn't come and go like that. When we come into a relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit, the power, the same power that resurrected from Christ lives in you. But we kind of check in and out in that relationship. So when I say, what if the answer hasn't been Jesus in me, then what? Really what I'm talking about is this. What if we haven't engaged that relationship with Christ? What if we haven't spent that time in prayer or with, with him? If that is the case, then where have I put or where am I continually putting my trust? Where is that going? Because here's the deal. You're putting trust in something, someone. It's not a vacuum where you go, I just don't trust anything. No, no, no. You trust every day and there are are visible things that you trust and there are invisible things that you trust. But you're putting your trust somewhere, whether you like it 
or not. And trust is an interesting word because it's layered. The expression holds these multiple meanings and it fills these gaps. Um, it, it, this is what it, what it looks like. For all of us, there are gaps in life. You know, I talk about that often. Right? You know, remember I said, you know, gaps between what we say and do. Trust has these gaps. There are certain things that we don't necessarily trust very much and have these large gaps. And then there are things that we trust, really trust, and the gaps are really tight. Life is about always closing gaps. Life is about closing gaps in what we say, what we do, what we believe in, what we do. It's those who can take those gaps and, and make them the closest are the ones that walk in integrity in the Word of God, those who have this relationship with God. But you're constantly trying to close those gaps in aspect of our life. Now, let me show you what I mean by that. Trust gaps. Chair. Let's start with that. The chair, this chair, we take those out of there, Paul, so don't spill them. Last week, apparently, someone sat on one of the uh, communion cups, sorry to whoever that was, um, that's, and, but we will not reverse you in your pants. So uh, th there's a tight gap in what I, I believe about this chair. Because, let me back up. In reality, there probably shouldn't be because I watched some of you put them together, Mr. Strail, and a few of you. But, but I've tried them all. So in my mind, it's like this, that this chair is going to cave in when I sit on it. Don't, no comments about me being overweight. There's this faith that I have, a trust that, that happens because this chair is pretty steady, pretty well made, and uh, I don't think about it. So I just naturally sit down. The phone, my phone is in my bag, and there's a wide gap. And the gap for my phone is, is this. The gap is, is I say I don't, it doesn't own me, but the reality is I'm constantly on it. And if I look at my numbers and the hours and the time that I spend on it, what I'm looking at, social media, and blah, 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 it's, it's, the gap is huge. Money. There's gaps that all of us walk in. I, I, for me, I believe in tithing. I regularly give by the grace of God, and I've watched them blow my mind with it, and the gap is really tight. In my personal life, sometimes not so much. It's cost me. Marriage. Right now, my marriage gap, dude, it is, it is right here. I just got back for four days with my wife, just me and her at the beach, going on walks, talking about how great we are, and Yeah. <laughs> I was right with my intuition last week. There's a little humility problem that we had to work out for a little while. That was a longer walk than the walk we had talking about her, but that's all right, you know. I'm humble about it, you know. I, I really worked hard at it, and I think I'm going to be great from now on. See, the humble gap. There's a large gap, too big. Right now, there's, this gap is really good. Now, it, it may ebb and flow a bit. My kids, I feel like there's a good gap right now, but it's not always been the case. There's times when I've been less than a great father. And there's times when they've been less than great kids, and the gap widens. Shouldn't widen during that time, but it does. So you get what I'm saying here with these gaps and what it looks like in our lives. What about the trust gap in Jesus? What does that look like in our lives? And, and I, was, I was talking to someone about it and, and about Jesus the other day, and, and the statement was made, what day is it? And that statement means this, what day is it? Well, last week was a tough week. It was a really bad week. My car broke down. I didn't have the money to pay for it, and I lost my job. So the gap in what I believe about Jesus widened. What day is it? Hey, things are going well. I got a new job, and, I'm, and, and my, my husband's nice to me, and, and this and that. The gap's real tight. 
a dangerous place. See, trusting in Jesus, like trusting in the chair, it has multiple layers in its meaning. In one sense, trusting in Jesus means believing in him for salvation. That is critical. It is crucial to what we believe as Christians, that we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. says, then you will be saved. That, that's, that's one layer of the trust that I put in Jesus. But in another sense, it means committing or dedicating my life to him, ourselves entirely to Jesus. There's not this big gap between salvation and what I do as a Christian. Christian. Two main levels of trust with Jesus. There are more. I'm, I'm, these two specific. Is the run down front and the die daily. The run down front is this. Hey, the pastor preached a great message and he asked for whoever wanted to have eternal life with Jesus, come down front and give your life to him. And people run down to the front. I love that. That's salvation. They come into this relationship with Jesus. But then the other layer of trust is the die daily one. Not as popular in the Christian world, as you can imagine. It doesn't get all the headlines that Jesus talks about in Mark 8. That you got to pick up your cross daily. you got to die daily to yourself. That's not the ones we blast on our church cards that we send out to people. Dying daily is, is difficult. But here's the question. How do you trust Jesus with your life and not trust Jesus with your life? How do you go, okay, I'm gonna put faith in you that eternal life is coming because I confess with my mouth that you are Lord and I believe in my heart that you raised, you were raised from the dead and I confess that and I, I trust that I'm gonna have eternal salvation and that you paid the price on the cross for me. I'm putting all my faith in that yet I don't put my faith in him for my daily life. In other words, how do you run down front and receive grace and life that Jesus gives you? You don't hand your life back to him each and every day. Is he not big enough to handle the problem that sits in front of you today, yet he's big enough to give you eternal life with him? Is he not big enough to walk you through whatever he needs to walk you through, yet he's, he's, he's big enough to, when you die, meet you at heaven's gate? Is this the same Jesus? The trust gap with Jesus is very similar to other trust gaps in our lives. Look, our ticket to heaven. Everybody loves the ticket to heaven. I don't want the ticket to hell. I don't want the highway to hell, just in spite of ACDC, which bums me out because I like ACDC. Gosh. The ticket to heaven is that, put it in my pocket, I've got eternal salvation because of who Jesus is. But then there's this other side of my life that I've got to live right in the here and now that's about lordship, that really manifests that I believe that he can do one thing and because he did that, I, my life gets changed. See, if the church, who's the church? We are the church. If the church gets this, Oh, can you imagine? If I can get a hold of this and just grab it and wrestle with it and, and walk in it on a regular basis, oh, it'll change me. It has changed me. It'll change you. It has changed you. It'll change you, and it'll change the world. See, trusting Jesus means closing the gap, committing or dedicating ourselves entirely to him. When we're born again, we become followers of Jesus. That's eternal life. 
But as followers, we put complete confidence in him and his word. That's the moment in time that you live in. They're synonymous with one another. The two layers of trusting Jesus that we're looking at today is that moment in time, which is what we have now. No one knows how long that time is, but we have a moment in time, each of us, that's lordship, and there's eternal life, the hope of what I'm believing for, what God has given us, and that's eternal life. And they run together. Biblically, they're intertwined. You can't compartmentalize them and put, here's my salvation ticket to heaven, and here's how I act in the world. This is what I'm like at work. This is what I'm like with my friends and family. But I got my ticket to heaven. But over here, this is how I act around others but I got my, my ticket to heaven. Acts 2.36 says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. There's a couple things in there that just, just are just in your face. And it's this. First, he says, I love this. Let all of Israel be sure God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. In other words, there's an awareness that I put Jesus on the cross because of my life. Not an awareness that many Christians have. They go, oh, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Relative to whom? We always talk about this. Relative, there has to be a standard. Relative to, relative to uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, you're a heck of a person. Relative to Mother Teresa, you're, you're crap. The standard is Jesus. There's only one standard. This Jesus whom you put on the cross, John Blue, because of your sin. He paid the price so that I could have life. But he goes, this Jesus whom you put on the cross, he's both Lord and Messiah, Savior. I like the order that he puts. He's first and foremost Lord of your life, and because he's Lord of your life, you have eternal life. There's not the separation between the two. One, Lord, lifetime. That's lordship is my lifespan. Savior is our ticket to heaven. And the two just come beautifully together. Yet the church separates them. And, and it's not biblical. It's not who God. We want to change your neighborhoods. You walk in lordship and salvation. You want to make a difference in your home with your kids. You walk in lordship and salvation. You want to make a difference in, the, in your neighborhoods, your work, wherever it is. It's this, this intertwined, scripturally based, biblical uh, truth that said he is both Lord and he's Savior in my life. There's a celebration that takes place out of that. Jesus is Lord of my life, and that's plan. This is my span of life, 1 Peter 1, 24, that says, for all grass is like, or all flesh is like grass, and all glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flowers falls. In other words, your life is like this. It's over. It's over. It's a moment. It's a piece of time. We don't know how long we get. We don't know if it ends today. We don't know if it ends tomorrow or, or 50 years from now. We just don't know. For you more mature people, probably not 50 years from now. For us, now I'm still in your category. For you younger people, maybe it's 50 years from now. But everything is a moment in time. 
So when he talks about lordship, he's talking about this moment in time on this earth. Not an eternal perspective, because at that point, there'll be no more pain, no more suffering. We will be worshiping. There won't, we won't be in these bodies. Lordship won't be an issue at that time. So when he says Lord and Savior, he said lordship has to do with right now and what you have in today. So first, before we dissect a little bit, what does lordship not mean? Lordship is not a Christian buffet. We don't get to choose what we like and don't like in the word of God. We all do it, but we don't get to do it. How can you do it? We all choose, but the reality is God says, no, 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 it's not a buffet. Many of us, what we like to do is this. I'll take a scoop of happy Jesus. That's a good one. I want happy Jesus. I like the New Testament. Give me a big heaping portion of the, the New Testament. I don't like that Old Testament, God, because he's mean. It's like Brussels sprouts. I'm not touching those in, the, in, the, in the, the line. I like healthy Jesus. God, if I can just be healthy and, and live long, then, 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 then you definitely are my Lord. I'll take a small scoop of my favorite church, just a little bit, twice a month. I like the ticket to heaven, Jesus. I want a big scoop of ticket to heaven, Jesus. I like prosperity, Jesus. Give me the pie. Give me the cake. Give me the, the it's just the prosperity, Jesus. Side note, okay, we went, when we were in Cambria this week, there's this place called Lynn's. You got to try it. Chris and I, no lie, ate pie on an average two times a day. Oh, it's so good. It is amazing. And, and, and that's how we, we look at salvation. I'm going to have two pieces of that day because I want to make sure I have that ticket to heaven. I like the prosperity Jesus. I don't like the giving Jesus where he asks me to give everything that I have. I don't like the Jesus that says go feed the poor or take care of the homeless. Ah, that Jesus, that's a little too messy for me. I'm going to keep that off my plate. It's like the, you know, the macaroni and cheese that, that spreads over into the other things. I don't like that mixing in there. And all of a sudden we have this plate that we've created out of this word of God. And here's the problem with the buffet Jesus. The buffet Jesus looks a lot like you and a lot less like him. Now all of a sudden you've created Jesus in your own image. What you like and what you don't like. And God is grieved. It breaks his heart. It's, it's the entirety of this word. Genesis to Revelation. And some of it I don't like to eat. Some of it, it goes down and it's sour in my belly. Especially when he tells me, don't do that. And I go, what? Don't do that. And I do it. That's, that's not Jesus. What does it mean then? If that's what it doesn't mean, what does it mean? Jesus Lord of my life. And when I say Jesus Lord, it means that Jesus is God, first and foremost. And Jesus has all authority on heaven and earth. He has all authority. That means my life he has total authority over. John, it says this in John 20, 28, Thomas, when he sees Jesus, he goes, my Lord, my God, he makes this, this declaration. And when you say my Lord, what you're saying is you're in control. You don't tell someone they're Lord of your life and don't say, and now I'm going to hold this back, this back, and this back. It's a declaration that says you are Lord, you have control. 
you have control. What does it mean, Jesus is the Lord of my life? Faith encompasses surrendering to God. It means going, okay, here's, here's. Think about this, surrendering to God. If God's the one who, if we believe this Bible, if this is true, I'm saying if this is true, I believe it's true. If this is true, this true word, and Psalm 139 is true, that God knew you before the foundations of the earth, you were a, before you even a thought in your mother's head, God knit you together, and, and, and each step set out before you, his thoughts for you were sort of numerous as the sand of the sea. If this is true, and I believe it is, who knows better about my life, me or him? If God sees beginning to end, he created me intimately, knows what my purpose is, knows what my weaknesses are, knows every thought that I have, knows every distinction in my heart, all of it. Who knows better about where my life needs to go, me or him? The, the, the breakdown in a, a small sense is this. It's, and I talk about natural and spiritual. They run parallel to one another. And the natural life as a father, who knows better about their child, a three-year-old child, the father or the child? And when the child says, give me, give me, give me, and the child goes, says, no, 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 and the child goes, wherever the child wants, and the father has the responsibility to go, son, daughter, let me tell you. And many times, well, many, most three-year-olds can't reason with their children or with their fathers, but as they grow older or go deeper in the Lord, you can start having that conversation. But the reality is this, truth is still truth, and the Father knows, and the Father understands my life. Therefore, that's why I go, okay, God, here, it's yours. Some of us are going through difficult times right now, and you're holding and grasping for more of your life. And God's saying, no, don't grasp for more. Take less of it. In fact, give it to me, because if I created you and I knew you and that you have purpose in your life, I can take you down that road and give you the peace to walk out whatever you're walking through. Yet we're grasping. The gospel is more than making an intellectual decision. Oh, I'm running out of Jesus. I want, I want that ticket. Mouthing a prayer, the gospel message is called to discipleship. It's a call to being Christ-like. It's a call to hearing the shepherd, the father, and knowing that everything that I have is his. The reality is this. If you want to take it to its simplest form, the very next breath you draw upon has been given to you by God. Tell me how much control you have. Tell me how much you know. The very next breath that you pull is given to you by God. Lord, Jesus Lord of every area of our lives. Not just the ones you like or don't like. Jesus Lord of every area of my life, or should be every area of my life. Over my health. He should be Lord of my marriage, of my kids, my sex life, my job, my money, my career. Over every aspect of my life, Jesus should be Lord. Yet we pull it off the shelf and go, we make these deals and these conversations. God, if you take care of this, then I'll make you Lord of my life. And that's not true. He's not about making deals. He's give it all to me because it's mine anyways. And then watch me give it back. Watch the peace. Watch the, 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 what I can do when you give it all to me. Each area of our life, not just the easy ones, the difficult ones, the ones that are hard, the areas that are hard to hit. Are we, sorry. Side note, I, I, I wrestled whether I should put it in. This is for men. 
Not that women don't need something, but this is for men. Men, if you haven't given Jesus your sex life or your money, you haven't given him anything. Generalizing. Okay, so don't take that away as gospel, the pastor said. But I can tell you this when I look at my life and I look at men and how God has created them. We hold on to that money and we hold on to sex. And when I say sex, I'm talking all encompassing. I'm talking about what we look at, what we, what we say, how we act, and how God has created us as men. The two areas that I, in 26 years of being in the ministry that, that, that I know that men struggle with, that I've had to struggle with, that each man struggles with is the, are these two things. But as I trust God and I, I go, here's my money, here's my sex life, here's my money, here are my eyes, here's my money, here's my heart, God changes us. So important. Women, you get a pass today. Lordship is a position of submission to every area of my life. God's grace and mercy play an amazing part in the Lordship. And the Bible calls this sanctification. And I'm not going to go deep into sanctification today because I only got a couple more hours. So I'm just going, every time it works, I love it. And then every time I use that stupid joke. But I'm just going to just kind of go over it a little bit here. The Bible calls it sanctification. Sanctification as we grow in grace. Uh, we are gradually but steadily changing to be more like Jesus. Sanctification is becoming more like him. It's this process that, uh, that we walk through, and, and it looks like this. I take three, four steps forward, and then I stupid, I take two steps back, and then I take five steps forward, and I take three steps back, and then I take six steps forward, and I take seven back. But it's this continually moving forward and, and, and becoming more like Jesus and not being the same person I was last week. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all, with unveiling face, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of the glory to another. From glory to glory, it says, we're being transformed. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us, that changes us. Sanctification, this occurs in a process of daily spiritual renewal. It comes when we renew our spirit with Jesus every day. It comes when we have those conversations with the Lord on a daily basis. It's this regular conversation and relationship that I have with the Heavenly Father that allows me to walk in sanctification. Paul himself, Paul the apostle we see, was being sanctified, even ministered to that allowed him to minister to others. Philippians 3.12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. He presses on into the sanctification. Here's the key. Here's what you have to remember. Here's what people get beat up and caught up in is this. You never measure change by the absence of your foolishness or my foolishness, but the time between. You know why? Because until we stand before Jesus, you're going to be a fool. Let me clarify. You're going to make foolish decisions. I'm not a fool, but I have times where I make foolish decisions. You're not a fool when you give Jesus your life, but you still make foolish decisions. 
but I never measure the change by the absence of making a foolish decision. What I measure it by is by the time between those foolish decisions. What does that look like? Early on in my, my, my walk, it's my ticket to heaven and lordship. And 10 years ago, what I did on a regular basis, five years later, I didn't do on a regular basis. What I did five years ago, uh, I, I don't do regularly la- that in the last year, in the last month, in the last yesterday. What, do you see what I'm saying? What, what I used to be who I was is not me anymore. I'm not defined by that anymore. I'm not defined by my sin. I'm not defined by what I, the foolish things I do, but I'm changing. I'm renewed by Christ Jesus in this word. It washes over me and changes me. And people start to go, you're a different man. You're not the same guy, the girl that I knew 10 years ago, five years ago, yesterday. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. He can change you like that. Sanctification is a process of becoming more like Jesus. And, and scripturally, there's salvation in the ticket to heaven, but there's this process that God's taken us through of sanctification, of being more like him, a new creation in Christ. Therefore, if anyone in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there are no law. And as these fruits come forth in your life, people see that you've changed. People see that you're a new person, a new creation in Christ. You're not the same drinking, cussing, sleeping around person that you were 10 years ago. You know, five years later, you're the just drinking and cussing guy and then a year later you're just the cussing guy and then you know it just it slowly sanctification just peels that away there's too many christians that i know that feel just beat up and they don't understand god's grace they don't understand how god sees us we talked about this six months ago when you come into that relationship with jesus the blood of jesus covers you and the father sees you and when you make a foolish decision and you go oh god i'm the worst and all that god says i i don't see you that way i see you completely sinless because of jesus it doesn't mean we don't repent it doesn't mean that we don't humble ourselves but god sees us as forgiven How do we make Jesus Lord of our lives? About a relationship. It's about encounters. How how do I grab my wife's heart? I have encounters with her. I have encounters. Last week, we went away for three. We went away. It was supposed to be Monday, Tuesday, but it was so good. We stayed Wednesday to Thursday. It's just, it was, you know, it it was about, and the reason was, is because I had these encounters with Chris. And as we're walking along the beach, and there's these, these miles of trails that on, on this cliff that overlooks this beautiful beach, and we start talking about who we are, and we start talking about the husband that I am, and sometimes I'm not, and the dad that I am, and the dad I'm not, and, 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 and the, you know, all those things. There's these encounters that are taking place with our hearts that are, are binding them together at a depth that, that, that when I don't have the encounters, just isn't there. And it's the same thing with my Jesus. When I encounter him and I walk with him and, 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 and he, he, he reveals himself to me in a new way or speaks to me in, in this, this, through the, the, 
the, the, the beauty of the ocean or whatever it is, or, or I read something in this word that I read a hundred times and it, it didn't reveal itself to me until this hundred and first time. And, I, and it's like, oh God, that's, that's unbelievable. And my God speaks to me and he answers prayers. And sometimes he says, not now. And sometimes he says, right now. It's because I encounter him regularly. There's days I don't encounter him. I can tell you this, when I don't encounter my wife the way I'm called to, they're not the best of days. When I don't encounter Jesus the way he's called me to, not the best of days. The tax collector that we read about had this encounter with Jesus. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. This is the, the worst of the worst. Meanwhile, the Christians are standing back there showing you what they're giving in the plate and how well they fast. And This guy's broken because he's encountered Jesus. Not religion, Jesus. It says standing far off. He understood the fear of the Lord. He understood that God had every right to strike him down, but because of his grace and mercy, he didn't. But there's, a, there's this, I, I understand that two-sided coin of the fear of the Lord. It, it says he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. There's a humility that says, I can't even look at you. You're so holy. This tax collector beat his breasts in repentance saying, oh God, forgive me. Oh God, I'm a sinner. Oh God, please help me. He's having this encounter with God. Each one of these are different encounters that we can have with the Heavenly Father. And then it says, being merciful to me, a sinner. He understood who he was. He understood that he was a sinner. He understood that he didn't deserve grace. He understood that apart from Jesus, he was dying and going to hell. And his hope was in Christ Jesus and the cross. This is a man or woman that understands Jesus as Lord because they have encounters with him. And these encounters change their lives. Oh, church, if we could encounter Jesus. Oh, I'm talking to myself. If I just encounter Jesus more, if I just continually disencounter him, he changes my life. He gives me eternal life and grace. The tactic collector, trust in Jesus, believes in him for salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We'll see that today at the football game with the crazy hair and that sign. He, he understood he was a sinner. Romans 3.10, no one is righteous, not even one. The tax collector understood who he was. Oh church, if we would just understand who we are and look in that mirror He understood he needed a savior. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. But most importantly, he understood he's not just a savior, but he was Lord of his life. The greatest of all sinners, the tax collector, he understood he had his ticket to heaven, but he understood all this. Jesus, you get it all. My money, my time, my job, my relationships, my sex life, my, my mouth, my drinking, my fill in the blank, whatever it is. Acts 2.36, 
this Jesus, whom the tax collector crucified, is Lord. This Jesus, whom John put on the cross, is Lord. That is the good news, that even though my sin put him on the cross, he is still Lord, and he loves me, and he forgives me, and I don't have to walk in guilt and condemnation. I don't have to walk when I leave this building. I don't have to walk in the weight of, of me being a fool, acting like a fool. I am not a fool because of what Jesus did. That's the gospel. The good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That's our hope. That's where we live. And when I realized my sin put Jesus on the cross, that's where the journey begins. To lordship and who he is. This tax collector had a powerful encounter with Jesus. That counter, encounter that he had meant he would have eternal life. But his actions by what we said, saw in the scripture meant that he knew Jesus. A lot of people that have encounters of ticket to heaven that don't know Jesus. Church, we got to close the gap. We have to close the gap between that encounter of ticket to heaven and knowing Jesus. We've got to close the gap between what we say as Christians and what we do as Christians. We have to close the gap between what we say as Christians and what they see as Christians. And I can't do it by myself because left unto myself, I can be a fool. But it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in me when I come into relationship with Jesus that I can walk in the fullness of being the man that God has called me to be, being the woman that God has called you to be. That comes through lordship. It comes through his word. It comes through encountering the heavenly father, the creator of heaven and earth on a regular basis, not twice a month. It happens each day. This tax collector knew that the answer was Jesus in him. He knew that you, in God's word, encountering him every single day, he would also be Lord. He would also be Lord challenge to us is to encounter Jesus every single day in his word, reading and journaling. I don't, I don't, I don't care if it's three minutes. You want to go an hour? Great. I, I'm not putting, I come out of ministry, they put a time limit. You got to read. If Jesus could uh, pray for an hour in the in Garden of Gethsemane, could you not at least read your Bible one hour a day? And I fell into that trap for a while and I was like, dude, I'm just happy to read a sentence each day. And God is faithful to move in that. And then all of a sudden there's a hunger and I start going, well, maybe I want to read two sentences. Maybe I want to read a little bit more. But each day choosing to encounter the creator of heaven and earth. Each day having that conversation with the creator of heaven and earth. That's mind-blowing. And each and every day knowing that I can encounter my Lord. That's what he's called us to. That's who we are. That's what lordship means. And my encouragement to you and me, go be the church. Counter Jesus today and tomorrow and the next day. Encounter Jesus daily so that others might encounter him in you. Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go and be the church. Proclaim the gospel. That's what we're going to do here.
That's what we're going to talk about here. That's what we're going to wrestle through here. Jesus, Lord of our lives, preaching the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for these men and women. God, uh, for your word that, that has called us to walk under the lordship of Christ Jesus. And I don't just want a one-time encounter to run down the front and get my ticket to heaven, but I, I want to encounter the creator of heaven and earth every single day. God, you're big enough for every one of my problems. You're big enough for every one of my issues. You're bigger than everything that I'm going through, that we are going through individually. And God, I, I, I want to trust in you. God, be Lord of our lives so that others might know you, so that others might encounter you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you that the answer is Jesus in me. As I confess him as Lord, that you will move in a mighty way. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. We're going to continue in this last song, but receive communion. Ken, when we receive every week, I, I believe scripturally it says when you come together, uh, if, if you don't have a communion cup, there are some, in, some of the spaces around. It's important for me, and I, I believe it was important scripturally because when you come, there's something that happens when you come together and you confess. When you come together and you humble yourself, when you come together, there's something about corporate worship. That's why, you know, I know it gets old and I'm going to keep doing it because it's one of my calling cards, you know, talking about twice a month. I'm going to keep doing it just because I think it's funny and I got the mic. Um, but the reality is this. I do believe that something happens in this corporate space when we come together. It's important. That's why we're planting this church. That's why Abraham and Yomi are, are going to plant, because there's something that happens in that corporate worship of those that God has called you to walk with. There's an impact that you will have that I won't have. There's an impact that I'm having that you won't have. But the importance of this corporate time of communion is, is special to me. And it's, it's a time that I go, okay, let's, let's set our hearts right. If the Holy Spirit convicted you on anything that we talked about today, beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. Now go to the cross and leave it there. Repent and leave it at the cross. Walk out these doors. You're a new creation in Christ. No more condemnation. No more guilt. You don't, you know, and people pay a lot of money to figure this thing out. I'm telling you, you know, if we just listen to the word of God, and I know it's not that simple, but it is. So take whatever you have. Just take it to the cross. Before you receive this bread that represents the body of Christ, just take a moment and pray, and then receive it. It says, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he ate it. Before you drink of the cup, just think of 
the, the washing of the blood of Jesus over your life. Whatever worry that you're wrestling with, whatever unforgiveness, whatever bitterness you might have towards someone, whatever, whatever's there, when you drink this, let it be just like a washing of Jesus' blood over all of those things. So when you walk out of these doors, you're like, I'm free. Because that's the gospel. It allows me to walk in this freedom. Father, I thank you for Jesus and the blood. And the night he was betrayed, he took the wine that represented his blood and he drank it. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. God, we declare that you are not only our ticket to heaven Savior, but you're our Lord. We declare today that you would be Lord of our lives, every aspect of our life. When we walk out these doors, we surrender everything to you here today. God, that we would encounter you each and every day. We say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.